Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Warning. Guests of The Roy Green Show may experience the truth, being in the hot seat, and in some cases, crying. The Roy Green Show continues on the Chorus Radio Network. I first learned of female genital mutilation as a regular practice in some cultures and religious and geographic backgrounds probably about four or five years ago. And it was a passing mention from someone who is from another part of the world and has not experienced it personally in her family, but is part of a a group. She was a a Muslim who who does have a problem with this in certain areas. And this isn't just a a religious practice. It's a cultural practice as well, and it's one that has some geographical roots. But one thing that struck me when she raised the issue several years ago is that she said no one was really paying attention to it. And I think by and large, she was very correct. I didn't hear anything about it in the media with regularity until probably the past year where not only is there more coverage of this practice itself around the world, but also more awareness and understanding of the fact that it happens in Canada or to Canadians. There was a story, a couple of stories actually, in the Toronto Star and the Global News website a few months ago that looked at this very problem of doctors who practice female genital mutilation coming to Canada, and it was border officials having to learn what to look for and learn what the equipment looks like if they see it. And it was also a case more difficultly to track is bringing young girls out of the country to have the practice done and then returning. And then we have this compounded with the fact that there was that doctor in Dearborn, Michigan, just a couple of months ago, who was arrested and charged with dozens, if not hundreds of these types of things. And there was a really, really interesting piece in the Toronto Star earlier this week looking at a particular sect where women in this have said that they actually have had this practice, this female genital mutilation or female genital cutting, FGM or FGC, done in Canada, in Canada. And the research on this particular sect is coming from an initiative called Sahio, or Sahio rather, which has found that 80% of Dawoodi Bora women surveyed have undergone this, and two of the study's participants said it happened in Canada's borders. I want to welcome into the show the co-founder of this very initiative, Shahida Tavawala Kirtane, who joins me on the line from all the way in India. Shahida, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really great speaking with you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for inviting me, and I'm really happy that uh, we are able to bring this uh, discussion uh, you know, to the public and, and have a dialogue about it uh, in, in an open forum. How long has this been an issue that you've been aware of in, in your community and in those of, of the people you work with? So um, I first came to know about this practice when, as a child. Uh, my mom had undergone the procedure, and she wanted to protect me. And from a very young age, she educated me about what this uh, cut knife. The procedure is called cutna, and she educated me about what the procedure was. And uh, that's from that from a young age. I've been 
informed and and told to be wary uh, of not you know not going with anybody who tries to you know tell you that let's go for candy. Usually, those are some of the um, reasons given to take children for the practice to perform the practice. And so, I have known about this since a very young age. I know that it's not exclusively a Muslim issue. I know it, it's one that has certain cultures and subsets. And in the case of this particular research you've done here, a particular sect. But what is the reason it's done? Because oftentimes I think there's a false comparison made with male circumcision. But the rationale that I understand for the two are, are very different from one another generally. Uh-huh. So... Um for this practice, the reasons that are the justifications that are given for FGMC are, tend to be religious, you know, health and hygiene, um, obviously sexual control and uh, culture, you know, marriageability, identity. Uh, all of these are, are reasons that are given for perpetuating the practice and, you know, uh, to keep the girls pure, virginal and pure and, you know, to pre- uh, control promiscuity before and after marriage, uh, you know, even enhance uh, spirituality and, and, and genital cleanliness, beautification. All of these are various reasons that are given. Um, and um, so these are uh, these are some. And in, in our survey, uh, these reasons were also, quote, uh, um, stated. Um, religious religion being the being the, the, the one of the biggest reasons followed. Uh, by um, uh, religious reasons, followed by, uh, you know, to curb sexual arousal and uh, health and hygiene. Mm. So, yeah. The women that you spoke to who had undergone this, were they, how, how was their response to it? I mean, did they know that it was wrong uh, in, at a certain point in their lives and then stop uh, understanding that? Or did they change their opinion on it? Did they all think this was normal? I'm curious, the women who have had this happen, if they all went the road that your mother did or if some of them actually thought, no, 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 this is normal and this is what was meant to happen to me. Mm-hmm. So ours, Andrew, was an anonymous survey. We didn't... Uh interact with uh, with uh, our respondents um so um uh, but we have had other conversations with women from the community and a lot of them uh, do believe that it is normal it is part of tradition and culture uh some of them don't even remember uh undergoing the procedure as a child so um you know they they have uh forgotten about it or they you know they have blocked it from their memory Explain a little bit for those not familiar with it. What is the community in question here? Right. So uh, I'm, I belong to the Daudi Bora community, and uh, we are a, a subsect of Ismaili Shias. Um, we uh, hail from Yemen, and from Yemen, uh, you know, they were persecuted and, and well, not persecuted, but they, they changed their base from Yemen and moved to uh, the coast of India, Gujarat in specific. And uh, we are a trader community. Uh, Vora means trader. And uh, very, very um, uh, progressive. Uh, Our women are are highly educated. We have a lot of doctors, lawyers, engineers. uh, And uh, so this is one one practice which kind of uh, is, is... it's confusing for a lot of mm-hmm. people who know that you know who are familiar with the com- community as to why it happens. Yeah, and that's something that strikes me as peculiar as well, because I've always known the Ismaili community in general, not just yours specifically, but the broader Ismaili Muslim sector as being very progressive. And how does something like this still remain in a community that has otherwise been so progressive in so many di- other areas? Right. So, um, uh, Andrew. Um, 
again, the the reasons for this practice are it, it is a very very deeply rooted uh, cultural practice, uh, and uh, uh, the the fact that uh, it it is also uh, well, uh, it is made the, the, although religion has nothing to do with it. We are told that we, it is one of the religious uh, requirements. Um, so uh, that is another reason for the practice to be uh, you know to continue. Uh, performing khatna on on young girls so uh, society societal norm it's it's so it's it's become a societal norm and uh, people just uh, do it uh, to you know to conform and i guess the most concerning part from a canadian perspective obviously most of my audience being in canada right now is that this is not something that is just happening in some country somewhere else in the world which is still problematic but it even hits home more when we find this literally happening in canada we know going back a couple of months as i said at the top of the show there have been stories of fgm practitioners coming into canada we've also known of cases of young girls being taken out of canada for this you're saying that you found participants in your survey that said this happened in Canada and this is not something that is is conjecture these are people that have said yes it happened to me and it happened in Canada uh-huh uh, so two of our 18 uh, respondents said that the procedure was performed committed on them in Canada and uh, um, some of them uh, may have been taken out of the country you know vacation cutting is is another concern for Canadian uh, girls who are at risk so um, uh, uh, like you said, uh, it does happen on Canadian soil, and which is a big reason why Canada must, must now wake up and address the issue because it's already people have, you know, uh, there have been, you know, you must have heard of the Nagarwala case in the USA. And, uh, you know, the fact that uh, it is happening on Canadian soil uh, makes it important for uh, everybody to, you know, um, step up and, and pay attention to this. How do you think the issue is best tackled? Because obviously from an immigration perspective, the officials can look out for certain things and doctors and nurses and any sort of medical worker can look out for it. But more culturally, I find that, and this is the reason I wanted to speak with you today, there isn't a broad understanding of it. So I think awareness is the first part for people to understand that this is an issue. But how should we go about really trying to combat this? Yeah. Um, so uh, um, the thing is that this, the fem- uh, female genital mutilation or cutting is is again uh, like i stated earlier it's a deeply rooted uh, cultural practice and uh, you know uh, laws and and law enforcement alone will not bring about change and so the change also needs to be in in the attitude and behavior towards the pra- towards the practice amongst you know practicing communities uh, also uh, we need we cannot just look at a law in isolation or any, for that matter we look at a- any one approach in isolation it has to be a multi-pronged approach and for canada we have to have the right balance between prosecution and prevention and um, uh, I, I, I strongly believe that we must engage all the stakeholders, which include, uh, you know, uh, uh, they include health professionals, uh, that includes, you know, pediatricians, gynecologists, GPs, midwives, nurses, uh, mm-hmm. uh, child protection officers, uh, teachers, police officers, immigration services, uh, and of course, legal professionals. So uh, there has to be a, a, a stakeholder uh, engagement and sensitization, uh, and uh, especially because of the uh, gap in, knowledge, uh, gap in uh, knowledge, especially amongst professionals, sensitization and awareness creation workshops are 
are are one way to you know uh, educate all the stakeholders uh, we also need to look at risk assessment uh, protocols do we have established risk assessment pro- protocols for professionals um on on uh, we have to look at protection of girls and of course uh, provision of care for survivors so these are just some of some of the ways that uh, canada can and can work on the issue and I, we've already uh, start we've done a, a good bit bit of work by coming up with really good law but uh, very often uh, for the law to be implemented we have to empower uh, all uh, um, you know yeah. all the people in the chain uh, Uh, to uh, address this issue effectively. Well, especially because it's happening in private behind closed doors, so it's not like there is an easy way to know if if someone is a victim of this. So I think when you speak about risk assessment, that's a a huge part of it. I think medical practitioners knowing what to look out for and and who to look out for has to be a part of it as well. But that idea of prevention is so important because we can talk about enforcing the law and arresting and prosecuting people that do this, which I agree is a priority, but we're talking about something that is so traumatic for the actual people involved. And, and you can repair some of the damage uh, in, in some cases through surgery, but the best case scenario is obviously that this never happens to someone in the first place. So I have to ask uh, along that vein, Shahid, have you found there has been a willingness for, I mean, the Muslim community in this case, and that's the community you're approaching this from, in actually tackling this? Do you find that there is a willingness for them to share, hey, this is not what we do in Canada, this is not healthy, or has that been a, a challenge for you? Um, so, um, um, with, with regards to uh, Muslims, uh, especially the Dawdi Bora community, uh, a lot. Our, our survey was uh, um, uh, an uh, online survey, and it was uh, exploratory online survey. So, uh, a lot of uh, our respondents uh, had access to, you know, internet, and eighty uh, percent of our survey respondents said that they do, they do not wish for this practice to continue, you know, with their daughters and continue amongst the community. So uh, that is one indication that that uh, you know attitudes are changing. Behave, you know, people's uh, uh, people want to uh, give, uh, you know, abandon the practice. So um, uh, we need to. Uh, it's it's basically a mix. I have not come across. U.S. had uh, the this. I believe there was an organization in the states which had come up with uh, a statement against the practice. So mm-hmm. I think we need. Engage our religious, you know, our religious uh, leaders, and 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 get more, engage with them more. I I don't think we have done that enough, and I think we need to do that more, uh, so that the community will feel empowered to, you know, those who wish to abandon it. Uh, We'll go ahead and, and do the right, do do what's right. Well, I th- certainly think your work on this is a huge step in that direction. Shahida Tavawala Kirtane joining me on the line from India, co-founder of Sahio, an initiative aiming to end this very, very brutal practice about which we're talking right now. Shahida, I know it's very late in the evening in India, but I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. And, and again, uh, uh, there's just one message that I, that I mm-hmm. wish to give to, to my to Canadians that you know uh, ultimately at the end of the day this is this is a child protection and a child rights issue and it's it's a very universal issue so you know every Canadian should concern himself or uh, or or herself about protecting a child irrespective of you know caste and creed and religion color or in, and even origin for that matter and it should be a, a Canadian issue everybody should uh, work towards uh, bringing an end to the practice yeah very very great point uh, to end on here Shahida thank you so much for your time today. 
Thank you, Andrew. Have a, have a good day. All right. All the best to you. When we come back in a couple of moments, I want to talk about this a little bit further here. And this idea of the selective immigration that we need to have and the selective outreach we need to have on this issue that Shahida so graciously spoke to us about. We'll talk about that up next here on the Andrew Lawton hosted edition of the Roy Green Show. This is the Chorus Radio Network.